1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books and Critical Theory. It's a podcast that's part of the New Books Network. On this episode, I'm talking to Stuart Eldon about the archaeology of Foucault, which is the final book uh, in a series of four books that he's been working on um, over the past, um, I guess, five or six years, or, or has it been longer, actually?
0: It's been almost a decade.
1: Really? Wow. Time Time has really flown. Yeah,
0: so, so I really started working on these as a book in back 2013 so yes it is almost exactly a decade
1: i mean the, the, the first one in, in the series Foucault's last decade um i, I was lucky enough to, to host you um and you know we, we've come back for the birth of power and, and the early foucault as well and this last book i, I suppose one way of introducing it and introducing the series Um, is to start with the time um, that it's um, covering or or dealing with. It it sort of charts the kind of early mid-career of Foucault's life. Uh, He, you know, sort of finishes his uh, doctoral thesis. He ends up becoming a full professor. Uh, There are lots of different um, kind of fascinating intellectual um, and also, I guess, kind of, you know, personal um, elements to to this period in in his life. But it, it... if you were kind of setting out um, a series of books, it would be quite strange to say I'm going to finish in the middle. So, why have you finished it in the middle, and, and um, why is this kind of 1960s into the early 1970s period ended up being the end um, of the work?
0: Well, thank you, Dave. First for for the interest in this series and for having me back on the show for for all four of the books. I suppose that. The confession thing is I never intended this to be what it became. I began genuinely thinking I was going to write a book on Foucault on the last decade of his career and tracing the history of the History of Sexuality Project. And that that book grew and became two books. So I then wrote a book on the um, period immediately preceding the last decade. So this would be sort of late 60s to early 70s in Foucault's career, which was the Birth of Power book. And then Thought I'm going to take a break from Foucault, I'm going to do some other things. And but quite quickly found myself drawn back to the archives, particularly as the archives were becoming opened up more new material was becoming accessible to researchers, and a new program of publication of material was beginning. So this would have been late 2016 that I really began work on the earlier parts of Foucault's career. And the College de France courses, so the courses that Foucault taught from 1970 to 1984, were all published in French over about two decades. The last course came out in French in 2015. And then the the team of editors was, some new people came on board, some other people stayed on. François Hérod is continuing as the lead editor of this to publish a whole series of materials, courses, but also manuscripts from before Foucault was elected to the College de France, where he held that chair. And so I knew that with the archive opening up and with this new programme of publication, it became possible to write a book about the earlier parts of Foucault's career on a similar model to the way I'd written the last decade in The Birth of Power books. And I realised that the scope of the material sufficiently large that I I knew I wasn't going to be able to contain it in a single book. And so that's why I wrote another pair of books, which becomes the early Foucault and the archaeology of Foucault. So yes, if I'd known at the beginning that I was going to write a, a history of Foucault's entire career, I would have done it in a different way. But part of it was I didn't intend that at the beginning, and part of it was the availability of material. When I began work on writing the last decade the 1960s, which is the focus of this book, the 1960s, we had almost nothing published except what Foucault himself published. Now we have a huge amount of new material, either out or coming out, that sheds, I think, a lot of new light on this
1: period. I mean, it's interesting you mention the scope of the material, because as with the other books, um, what this book gives you, I guess, are those kind of anchor points with um, the sort of fairly famous or, or well-known um Canonical is is probably not not the right word, is it? But, you know, those texts that we associate uh, with being, you know, sort of Foucault's major interventions, but then places them in context with things like lecture series he was working on, you know, uh, material. He was was working on edited drafts, stuff like this, as well as things that I I guess are kind of slightly less well-known in terms of his work. And we might start, as the book does, with one of the more kind of well-known Um, interventions which is in the early 1960s he's working on things like you know questions of madness questions uh, about medicine Um, and and really I suppose there's a sort of um, elements of of where he's breaking from from his earlier work but also quite a lot of continuity in the early 1960s so what were his I guess kind of contributions uh, to thinking about medicine and madness in that period?
0: Right thank you so the the early Foucault book the, the one before this in the series chronologically, the early Foucault ends with The History of Madness. It's a book, in a sense, that's how did Foucault come to write The History of Madness? And and The History of Madness was Foucault's primary doctoral thesis. Secondary doctoral thesis was the Immanuel Kant's translation, the the anthropology, and, and a long introduction. And Foucault in The History of Madness, at least in the, the full version of that, rather than the abridged version, which was the one initially translated into English as Madness and Civilization. In the full version of The History of Madness, Foucault sketches out a number of themes that are significant for much of his later career. So there's stuff about incarceration, there's stuff about biology, there's stuff about um Medicine outside of just mental medicine, mental illness, uh, medication, but but also about physical medicine. And so Foucault is picking up on a number of themes in the history of madness throughout later parts of his career. There's also discussion in that book of sexuality as well. And Foucault calls The uh, Birth of the Clinic, his second major book, He calls that book the outtakes from the history of madness. That's slightly to underplay what that book is doing and about the material and the the research that he put into that. But I think you can see what he means by that idea, that there are themes in the history of madness that Foucault wants to develop and expand in a a new way in that book, The Birth of the Clinic, which comes out in 1963. And Foucault is asked increasingly, as his um, reputation grows, to do things like radio Uh, programs. And so there's a series of radio lectures that Foucault gives in the 1960s on madness and literature. A couple of these have been published and the others are available as recordings online. There are various conferences where Foucault speaks on connected themes around madness and medicine. So it, it continues to be a theme through the 1960s and that the work on clinical medicine in some ways is sort of behind some of the themes that he develops in the Order of Things, his book in 1966, or les mots et les choses in the French original title of that book, which would translate as uh, Words and Things. So Foucault is continuing with some of the themes from the history of madness into the 1960s, but he's also connecting them to new interests. He's thinking about them in new ways. And what I try and do in that that the opening chapter of this book is to try to talk about that work, both the birth of the clinic, but also all these connected pieces, um, to try and sketch out what Foucault does beyond the history of madness around some of these themes.
1: I mean, this is territory that um, I suppose even people with a sort of passing interest in Foucault will be really familiar with. But but the sort of middle, early part of the book is really in some ways much more intriguing because it tells the story of Foucault as a kind of literary and artistic critic, um, telling the story of projects unrealised. Um, some projects you know that, that we have quite a lot of um, work um, that's with us, but some things that kind of never came to fruition. Um, And also, I I guess, the story of Foucault, um, one of the terms that stood out to me um, in in the chapter on on literature was the idea of Foucault being kind of like weary uh, of being a sort of literary scholar. And and I'm fascinated to hear more particularly about literature and art and and where this uh, fits in. Um, So maybe, maybe I'll ask you two questions. The first is... Um, what was his work as, a, I, I guess, a kind of a, a literary critic, as a sort of, you know, reviewer, um, as someone who's trying to write about uh, literature? And then we'll, we'll move on to think about the artistic work.
0: Sure. So, so the 60s or the early 60s is really the period where Foucault wrote, writes most explicitly around literature. But you can trace themes in this much further back if you read His 1954 text, The Long Introduction to Ludwig Binsfanger's Dream in Existence, there's a lot of literary themes in that work, and the history of madness is filled with examples from literature. And Foucault's clearly very interested in that range of literature. He tells a story about how when he was a child, his family home had two libraries, his father's, which was clinical medicine, because his father was a surgeon. And that was largely off limits to him. But his mother's library, which was largely French literature, that was open to him. And so in a sense, in the 1960s, Foucault's combining a reading from those two different types of libraries that he had exposure to as a child. And the literature work There are various things that Foucault writes. The most extensive is his book on Raymond Roussel, which comes out almost exactly the same date as The Birth of the Clinic. Foucault's working on these two books. And so then um, they come out in 1963 within about a month of each other. Roussel was a relatively unknown Uh, um, theorist of literature, perhaps you might say, but also as a a novelist and a poet. And Foucault discovers his work and becomes very interested in that work. It's quite a personal book by Foucault, but it's the only book that he writes with an absolute concentration on literature. But as you say, Foucault writes a number of shorter essays, particularly in the first half of the 1960s where he's writing for some of the french literary journals he's reviewing a lot of contemporary french literature but he's bringing in a number of themes that he's interested in his wider work around those questions and he's particularly close to the Telquel journal um julie kristeva would be one of the the, the key pi- figures that's associated with that journal roland Barthes, um to an extent as well um and Foucault's interested in this, he's connected to this, he's taking part in roundtables where they're discussing the French novel or they're discussing the um, Alain Rogrier's work on the, the Nouvelle Roman, the, the new novel. Foucault's certainly interested in these kinds of questions, but as you say, towards the end of the 60s, he confesses that he's fairly tired of this, he's not really sure where it's going, he's not really sure what else he might have to say about these questions, and then turns in the 1970s to the concentration on incarceration with the work that leads up to, um, his, uh, sorry, to the, to the birth of the, to dispen a punish the birth of the prison um, in 1975. So Foucault is certainly interested in literature. There's a lot of work in literature that's published in the 1960s, but there's a lot of work that has become available only relatively recently out of the archives, transcriptions of recordings or or Foucault's manuscripts from lectures that he gave. A lot more material that we now have on some of the classical French authors, so Flaubert, Balzac uh, and others, Marquis de Sade. So Foucault's certainly interested in literature in a range of ways and sometimes connects to themes that he explores in some of his better-known works. Um, But we have a, a range of new materials that are available to us, to fill in details about that engagement, I think.
1: In terms of his work on art, I, I detected a, a similar, if not weariness, but um, I guess a kind of an, an exhaustion um, of, of his thoughts, you know, and a, and a sense of uh, maybe not having much uh, to add or, or much more to add. He, he writes quite a lot about art uh, in the 1960s. And uh, one of the things, you, you know, you, you've mentioned there about archive material and, and lectures is, there's essentially a, a kind of a book on Manet, you know, within um, a lot of detailed preparatory work and, and, and lectures he's given, but it never really comes to fruition. So, so I guess, what, why do we see a, a similar um, kind of interest, but then a waning of interest in, in writing about art as we do with, with literature?
0: The, yeah, I think it's an interesting question for Foucault. I mean, there are some parts of Foucault's writing on the visual arts which are very well known. So the the opening chapter of the order of things, which is on the the painting of by Velázquez that um, hangs in the Prado in Madrid, of the, uh, the the artist himself is in the portrait, and you can see um, what's really the background is the. Thing that the artist might be painting reflected in a mirror that you can see in the background. Foucault's interested in this in terms of questions around representation and so on, and it's kind of like a, an overture to the order of things because it allows him to open up a number of themes that he wants to explore in the book, but to do it through this very detailed analysis of a work of art. And then there are other texts that are relatively well-known. So René Magri, the um, surrealist Belgian painter that Foucault writes a long essay on that becomes a short book um, with some revisions to it. But there are other texts that are also interesting and some of these, as you say, have become available either through a transcription of a recording um, or through um, archive material. Manet is one of those, but there's also a long text on Picasso, which has been published in French, which is on Picasso's series of paintings, um, picking up on themes in Velázquez's painting of Las Meninas and that Picasso then does a series of paintings. And Foucault writes this as on, on a commission by an art gallery that wants to do a um, a film that shows both the Velasquez painting with Foucault's commentary from The Order of Things and then the Picasso series of paintings with Foucault's commentary on that. For various complicated rights reasons, that never gets published. And so Foucault takes back the manuscript of this and it sits in the archive until it was published about a decade ago. So there are various texts like that. And the Manet one is... For many of us, it's been known through Didier Erebon's biography or David Macy's biography, where they talk about this as the one of the fabled lost works of Foucault. The Foucault did plan to write a book on this. He apparently had quite an extensive manuscript on this that late in life he talked to people about. But the story goes that Foucault destroyed that manuscript um, before he died. And so that, that manuscript doesn't exist there are traces of what might have been that manuscript in the archive. There's nothing like a full text, but there are certainly parts, there are sketches of how Foucault might have done this. And there are some um, lecture materials, because Foucault gave a lecture on Manet um, and Manet's work in a number of different places. We have a recording of one from Tunisia. We have the manuscripts of ones from some of the other places that he gave. So the Manet material was interesting, and I think there are, Sufficient traces to be able to say something about that, even if we, we still don't know what Foucault might have done had he not destroyed the manuscript, or had he decided to to develop it along the themes he initially indicates.
1: I mean, you mentioned the order of things. Um, this, I, I suppose, is is much more in keeping with how we think about uh, Foucault as a you know historian and, and, and philosopher. The history of, of systems of, of thought, and, and when it comes out, it's, it's a sort of surprising hit, I, I guess, which is um, quite quite strange for you know people who've uh, read or, or indeed grappled with the book. And, and I'm interested to know, I suppose, what this meant for Foucault in, in terms of, of the reception of, of the book um, and, and where it fits in, sort of more broadly with, with his work in the 1960s.
0: Right. So it's a it's an interesting book, and it's quite different from many of Foucault's other major works in that the relation between knowledge and power as to use his later way of phrasing these things, this book is in, almost entirely about the specialised scientific discourses, the knowledge aspect of this. It's a book that's almost completely detached from what this then meant in terms of politics or or action and so on. It, so it's a strange book and, and slightly a, an odd one in relation to the rest of Foucault's career. I mean, if you read even The History of Madness or The Birth of the Clinic, they're very much about practices as well as about the scientific knowledge. So The Order of Things is a book that Foucault says, you know, I imagine that this book would be read by a handful of specialists in particular areas. And what's important about the book for Foucault is the way that he's trying to draw parallels between quite different understandings of of specialised knowledge in different fields and how they might connect together. So... How can we trace the transition from general grammar to modern linguistics? How can we trace the transition from natural history to modern biology or from the analysis of wealth to economics? And Foucault says these are quite distinct areas, but there might be ways in which they connect in quite interesting ways. And part of the book is to try to explore those. And the book's this surprise bestseller. It becomes this sort of notorious book, although I suspect it's a bit like, you know, Stephen Hawking's Brief History of Time. A lot (laughs) of people owned the book, but not that many people read it, or they maybe got through, you know, a chapter or so. And Foucault kind of doesn't quite understand this. I mean, today, it is still the best-selling book in the Gallimard series that it it was published in. And it's a surprise hit because it's not Foucault's most accessible work. It's not a book that has an immediate kind of connection to debates that are going on at the time in a way that his later books, um, Discipline and Punish or The History of Sexuality, perhaps would have. So it is a bit of a puzzle but the book's quite provocative. And so there are things in it that people picked up and Foucault has these various exchanges with people who had criticised aspects of the book. So it annoys traditional Marxists. Sartre feels that he has to say something about the book. There are lots of reviews, lots of kind of discussions of these the, the book and so on, radio interviews and so on. So it's a bit of a puzzle why this book of all of Foucault's early works is the one that has the surprise sort of hit. Um, but it's a book that's a, it's an important and interesting one, even though, as I said, it's a little bit distinct from some of the other aspects of um, Foucault's career, both before and after. The other thing that maybe is worth saying about, about this book and what I tried to do in, in my book, The Archaeology of Foucault, looking at this, is that we have something that's quite surprising in the archive, in that Foucault gave a lecture course in Brazil in the mid-1960s, where he basically presented this book to an audience and the lecture materials that we have, which are in the process of being edited for publication, it's an early draft of the book. It's not that Foucault writes a lecture course around the themes of the book, but it's very clearly an early draft of the book is then repurposed as a, a lecture course. And Foucault puts various things like dates and so on that mean that we can indicate how this was used in a classroom. So it's an interesting book for me because you have this relatively unusual draft of a a book. Foucault often destroyed the early drafts of his books, Uh, but this one was one that was retained. So I try and say something about that and about how Foucault builds up into the book that that becomes famous. The early draft doesn't have that opening scene of Velázquez in it. It doesn't have the the last two chapters where Foucault connects this to some of the most sort of um, pressing kind of contemporary concerns this idea of the death of man that's in a in a a late chapter in the book but that's something that's not there in the earlier draft in quite the same form so it was interesting for me in seeing something I've I've, I've long wanted to to do with Foucault's work is to see that process of making of these how these books came about and this book had that sort of material available to me
1: it's good you mentioned brazil and, and actually i'm going to come back to to questions about where he was teaching and, and, and what he was teaching because that's incredibly influential but as you were talking through the reception and the process of writing uh the order of things i, I was really struck by i suppose the contrast with the archaeology of knowledge which um you, you deal with towards the, the end of the book um, and i wonder if you, if you could sort of tease out that contrast for me you know archaeology of of knowledge has a very different reception um it, it's not a hit <laughs> it's, it's the kind of short way um of, of, of summarizing that although you know in some ways it might be a much more sort of influential text and indeed you know the, the sort of writing of it um seems to be or at least the impression i got was it it was much more of a kind of a, a struggle for him when he was developing um that book both actually as compared with the order of things but also compared with his his other uh, books and other processes of writing
0: right now that's interesting that that opens up some some interesting questions Foucault apparently I think it was Daniel de says to Foucault so this is Foucault's long-term partner how much he admired the order of things and Foucault said yeah but it's not a book that I ever enjoyed writing and I think that's true of that book but it's certainly true of the archaeology of knowledge that the Archaeology of Knowledge is a book that in some of his correspondence with de Foucault talks about how painful the process of writing is and about how the book is just such a mess and he's got all this work to redo and so on. And it goes through a number of different versions. There's a a whole manuscript, which Foucault looks like, might be the book after The Order of Things, which Foucault chooses not to publish and, and largely abandons, although some of the themes come up in, in The Order of Things. And that manuscript on philosophical discourse is, is going to be published in May this year, so it's been edited by Daniele Lorenzini and Herrera, um, and is part of that series of books that I mentioned of, of pre-College de France Foucault material. So the Archaeology of Knowledge, we have other draft material for it. We can see some of those processes of Foucault working and reworking ideas as he's trying to develop and, and to work out exactly what he is trying to say. The Archaeology of Knowledge is a is a peculiar book in that Foucault is writing it in part because he's trying to position himself for a major chair in philosophy in France. Um, it becomes the his election to the Collège de France um, in 1970 but he's trying to get a position back in in, in Paris um, from a slightly earlier period in the 1960s and I think he must have thought that writing a kind of major philosophical methodological treatise would be useful in terms of positioning himself for those kind of um, um, roles but it's a book that is quite frustrating and it says quite a lot of the things that it's not doing but not always so much about what it is doing or what Foucault thinks that he is doing in his own work. It's part a reflection on his previous books but it's also partly a programme for what he might go on and do and there's some indications of future projects in that book, some of which he he does develop and some of which he doesn't develop. Um, But it's a book that's largely devoid of references um, so it makes it quite difficult to see who it is that Foucault is engaging with. Um, so it's a peculiar book and it's another one of those strange books in Foucault's overall trajectory Uh, but I think some of the material that's now available enables us to situate this much more clearly in terms of the 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 tracking of Foucault's interests and so on.
1: In terms of I suppose that uh, preparatory work you'd mentioned um, him trying to get uh, a position in, in, in Paris. Well, one of the uh, things I was struck by during this period is it, it, it would be wrong to use the kind of modern terms of, you know, being a sort of precarious uh, academic, but he is, you know, moving around quite a lot. He's, at, you know, several different institutions, he, he's in different places. And, and the two things that, that are maybe worth sort of teasing out in that context um, are, first off, um what is he teaching and and what's the kind of the role of his of his teaching in, in the nineteen sixties, um particularly, you know, with reference to these uh two major books that he he publishes. Um and then we'll come on, I, I think, and and talk about the the influence of working in Tunisia on on his politics and his thought.
0: Right. So Foucault gets a position to teach at the University of Clermont-Ferrand, um in sort of central France. Um, in the early 1960s so he leaves his post in Tunisia sorry he leaves his post in in Hamburg and uh, takes up this position at Clément-Ferrand and like in the early 1950s Foucault is teaching in a philosophy department but he's teaching psychology so psychology at the time was largely taught within philosophy programs and Foucault is teaching the psychology classes to that philosophy department in in um this regional part of France. Foucault still living in Paris. Um, he moves back into the apartment that he shared with his brother um, in central Paris. He's commuting, staying the minimum amount of time that he can in Clermont-Ferrand, doing his classes and, and coming back. We don't have that much by by... A record of Foucault's teaching in clermont ferrand We have a course on sexuality that was published a few years ago in French and has been recently been translated into English, where Foucault's teaching sexuality to psychology students. Um, Didier Erebon gave me a set of notes to look at uh, of one of Foucault's students in one of his psychology classes, uh, which was useful in terms of Foucault was just doing really a survey of debates in psychology to those students, possibly not the most exciting thing that he'd ever taught for himself, but it was something that was that was his job at the time. And then in the mid nineteen sixties, Foucault is clearly unhappy in Clermont-Ferrand, but a position in Paris doesn't come up, and he takes a leave of absence to go and teach in in Tunisia, where he teaches for a couple of years before returning to France, and then. Um, he returns initially to the university of Vincennes which had been set up after the may 68 protests it's this new experimental university that foucault comes to realize is a bit of a trap it that, that, that all of the kind of sedition within the french system has been pushed out into this university in the vincennes forest in um, a former military site that was repurposed into a university and that the idea is that the french state can push all of the problematic lecturers and the, the, the sort of the more hippie students and so on out to this site. And then the Sorbonne and the more established French institutions can carry on in the way that they did before. So Foucault realises that there are problems about this kind of institution and his position within it. Um, But he teaches there. He teaches, of course, on Nietzsche, which we'll maybe come to, um, which is the the subject of the, the last major chapter of this book, but he teaches another course on sexuality there, which has also been published. And so the Vincennes period is a, an important one in terms of some of the themes of Foucault's work. But it's also one that he, he almost can't wait to get out of. Um, and the election to the Collège de France is the thing that sort of rescues him from this. So what's interesting for him about Tunisia in part as an academic position is that he can teach philosophy. And that he can teach philosophy really for the first time in his career he'd always been teaching in philosophy programmes, or often been teaching in philosophy programmes, but he'd often been teaching something other than the philosophy that he might have been interested in. And so the Vincennes position is also to teach in philosophy, and then of course the, the College de France position is basically a research chair where he can teach what he is interested in, the focus of his own research at that time. So there's a whole set of institutional questions about where Foucault is located, both in terms of where the institution is, but also about the disciplinary position and the teaching that he was doing that I think are important. And there's something I try to talk about in the book to situate some of the ideas and the the arguments in his publications in relation to some of that teaching
1: And you've also touched on this, you know, there are political questions uh, that flow through this, um, not just in in terms of, you know, which uh, bits of the French education system he's in, you know, radical or not, uh, establishment or or, or not, and, and, you know, the relationship he he has uh, almost as a kind of political figure, as a campaigner, and and some of this comes uh, later in his life, and and obviously he's dealt with in in your earlier books, but I I think um Tunisia uh, the, the the book i think makes quite clear has a really sort of important influence on him personally politically um as well as as you've mentioned you know intellectually in terms of what uh, he gets to teach and, and the kind of program he's involved with so so what was the impact uh, of that period in, in Tunisia why, why is this such um a, a sort of important moment um in in his development
0: so yeah so foucault says that Tunisia was a political awakening for him and that it was the events, particularly of March 68 in Tunisia, rather than May 68 in Paris, that was the real break for him in terms of the earlier positions that he had to, to the later, much more radically politically active Foucault, the one that we associate with the early 1970s, the stuff about prison activism and the other campaigns and things that Foucault gets involved in. And Foucault gets caught up in the student protests against the Habib Bourguiba regime, they begin in part around um, the impact of some of the wars between Arab countries and Israel. There's protests about the visit of, the, of the, um, the United States vice president to Tunisia. But these spark into a wider set of student protests against the regime. And student um, Foucault becomes quite close to some of his students in this period. And there are various stories of him Sheltering some of them in his apartment when they were on the run for the police of hiding a um, typewriter that they were using to to write their um, political tracts and hiding that in his garden, um, various stories about the kind of the risks that he was taking on behalf of those students and the sometimes the material support that he was doing, um, giving them money for a deposit for an apartment, paying some of their legal fees uh, so Foucault gets quite caught up in these and realizes the political radicalism of his students and how they were reading some of the texts that for Foucault he'd often seen as these sort of slightly detached academic texts but they were reading them in a much more active way in terms of these informing the work that they were doing to challenge the regime to to protest against it. Foucault gets introduced by them to Black Panther literature which is important for Foucault in the early 1970s. He starts to reassess the position that he has to some Marxist texts as a result of this engagement. So a lot of his students end up having very long prison sentences or getting uh, very severely beaten by the police on the, the university campus. And Foucault comes back to Paris after this Tunisia period and says, you know, some of what was going on in May 68 was important, but it wasn't the same degree of risk as I was seeing with my students in Tunisia, they were really putting themselves on the line in terms of these protests, and they were suffering from from a decade or more in prison as a result of some of the activism they were doing. So I think Foucault has a slight scepticism towards the... Slightly heroic myth of of 68 um, in in France after he returns, because he says there was a different context that was important for me, for Foucault, um, but that this was of a different scale to the one that you saw in Paris.
1: That political awakening, obviously, is really crucial. And, you know, we we, we can see how it shapes his his thought as as well as his, I guess, practice and and lifestyle as, as an individual. The, the way the book comes to a conclusion is with, uh, I guess, the kind of key influential um, intellectual, um, I suppose, sort of figure, um, but also, again, you know, uh, as um, as an issue of kind of literary or, or academic practice, which is Nietzsche. So, obviously, he's working on Nietzsche. You know, you, you talk in the book about... Uh, Nietzsche being someone that explains um, his kind of issues with Marxism, his relationship with structuralism, and indeed his you know, distance, um, questions of um, political communism, how he reads Marx. You, you know, Nietzsche is really, really crucial. At the same time as you know an intellectual element, there is a, a sort of practical job he has to do um, around Nietzsche, which is being an, an editor um, and. Uh, if I've understood correctly, working with translators but not directly translating uh, Nietzsche himself. And I'm fascinated by those uh, kind of, you know, dual readings, uh, I suppose, of what's going on. On the one hand, Nietzsche is an intellectual influence at the end of the 60s but also as uh, and this is a terrible way to put it, but Nietzsche is a job uh, he, he has as well.
0: Right, no, that's an interesting way to think about that. I mean, Nietzsche is somebody who's crucial to, to Foucault almost throughout his career and that he's Nietzsche is somebody that I return to in, in all the books on of this series on Foucault. Um, very briefly, Foucault encounters Nietzsche sometime in the early 1950s, um, really seems to be significant to him. He reads a lot of Nietzsche, he writes some draft material on Nietzsche, but he doesn't publish on Nietzsche for quite a long time, even though I think we can see the importance of Nietzsche in, in what becomes the history of madness. In the 1960s, Foucault does start to published, but only a very little on Nietzsche. So he gives a a talk on Nietzsche, Freud and Marx to a conference on Nietzsche that had been organised. One of the organisers was Gilles Deleuze. Um, Foucault allows that to appear in the kind of the proceedings of that conference, but it's quite a short text and it's not quite Foucault's real engagement with Nietzsche in detail. And then at least until recently, the next text that we have of Foucault's publishing on Nietzsche is the uh, Nietzsche genealogy history essay, which comes out in 1971. And that's an important text in terms of the reading of Nietzsche, but also in terms of how much of this is what Foucault is trying to do in his own work, how much is this is the, the model of how Foucault wants to do a historical examination, which he starts to call genealogy from around this time. So those were the the published traces, really, the the Nietzsche-Freud Marx, and the Nietzsche genealogy history until relatively recently. We now have some of Foucault's lecture material on Nietzsche. Uh, We have a Brazil lecture from 1973 on Nietzsche. We have a um, text from Montreal in 1971 that was published in an appendix to the Lectures on the World to Know course. But we also have some material in the archives that helps to fill in some detail of this. And the the most substantial is the whole course that Foucault gives on Nietzsche at the University of Vincennes that I mentioned, the experimental university. And there is a manuscript for this course, but it's in a bit of a mess in the archive. It's The pages are not numbered, it's not in the right sequence, it's sort of jumbled up and it's difficult to work out what order Foucault might have presented the material. Now, somebody who contacted me and wished to remain anonymous, but said I was one of Foucault's students at Vincennes and I took notes and I can share with you my typed up notes of what Foucault said in those courses. And that was really valuable to me. Now, I would always want to be slightly wary about using student notes to reconstruct what the the lecturer had actually said, but it was really helpful because they also had access to the manuscript in terms of working out the chronology, what in order, which order Foucault had delivered this material. And so I didn't want to rely on the lecture manuscript, on the, the student's notes except to help me to make sense of Foucault's notes and using that I was able I think to reconstruct the way that Foucault had taught that course at Vincennes and I spent quite a lot of time talking about this course which is really a prelude to what Foucault then writes up in the much shorter piece the Nietzsche genealogy history essay so Foucault's teaching on Nietzsche is important I mean there's traces in other places where Foucault lectured on Nietzsche So a 1950s course on on philosophical anthropology where Nietzsche is mentioned in the manuscripts, and that's now been published. There are reports that Foucault taught about Nietzsche in Tunisia, of which we have um, more limited traces. But this Vincennes course is very much the, the most detailed analysis of this. And then there are some other lectures in the Americas the one I said in Brazil, but also in Canada and the US in the early 1970s. And all of the archive material on Foucault's engagement with Nietzsche is due to be published. Um, Bernard Arcor, who's edited a couple of other volumes of Foucault's work, is going to be editing the Nietzsche volume in that new series. So there's a lot of new material to sort of fill in the detail about how we understand that Foucault was reading Nietzsche. You mentioned the the role that Foucault has in the French edition of the of Nietzsche's uh, collected writings. So this was to Italian scholars were realising that there was a real problem with the German edition of Nietzsche's text. This is in the 1960s, and that they get access to the Weimar archive where Nietzsche's papers are. And they say that before we can do an Italian translation, which is what they are initially commissioned to do, we need to do a proper critical German edition that then can be translated into Italian, French, and still ongoing is into English with uh, Stanford University Press. Foucault is brought on as one of the advisors or editors is a slightly generous term in terms of the role he has in the French edition of that um, German critical edition that was in process from the 1960s. So Foucault and Gilles Deleuze are initially the two French language editors for this. But as you said, Foucault is not doing the translation himself. Pierre Klossowski does the first volume, and Foucault and Deleuze write a short introduction to that volume. But Foucault's also involved in some of the sort of publicity. He gives some interviews around this time, he and Deleuze, uh, to newspapers or to um, radio shows around this. And they talk about how they're reading Nietzsche, how it makes possible... This new critical edition makes possible new readings of Nietzsche to break from some of the problematic ways in which Nietzsche had been edited in the past. And it generates and makes possible these different types of readings um, of which Dillers and Foucault are two of the French examples around this. Just one other thing, maybe on that question, the the editing issue of Nietzsche, I think, is an interesting one in terms of what Foucault's role is with that. And one of the things I try and do, I think, is particularly in this book, the archaeology of Foucault, is to talk about Foucault's role as an editor. So his involvement in the Georges Bataille complete works, his um, role as one of the editors of the Critique journal, taking over after Bataille died. Um, Foucault's involvement in that and some of the editorial work that goes on there so about how Foucault and others were involved in making possible these different intellectual interventions of getting Bataille's works produced in this substantial what becomes 12 volume edition um, the editorial work of how a journal is put together at least how a journal was put together in the 1960s and the Nietzsche part would be another aspects of that of, of that sort of Editorial work, or as you say, the job, alongside the the more intellectual interests that he had in terms of his own writing or his own teaching.
1: Mentioning Deludes, um, th- there's also various other um, key intellectual relationships. Uh, quite early on, uh, you discuss that Althusser, um, and and I guess that kind of broader. Um, intellectual uh, scene that, you know, blooms at this point in, in France. And and that leads me, I, I guess, to a, a sort of concluding question, with, which, you know, the, this book and and the, and the four of them together, I think are a genuinely remarkable achievement. And and it strikes me, I suppose, where, where do you go next after you've done this? Um, and I'm interested to know, you know, sort of what a future project might be in terms of, is it working on, you know, other Uh, thinkers uh, related to or or in kind of Foucault's orbit? Is it a matter of having settled accounts with Foucault, doing something completely different? Um, Where next after such a kind of a major project?
0: Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad you think that the four books work um, and that, I mean, having read and discussed all of the books with me, we did that in the order that the books were written, um, but I now hope that people, if they're interested, can read the books in the order in which the events they talk about happened. Um, so there's a either the order I wrote the books, or I, or the order that the books are, are talking about, and and hopefully it works in both ways to read those books. Yeah, so you mentioned Dauterier, um, Jack Derrida is somebody else who I also talk about because it, relation to him, and with those thinkers and with others. The Foucault archives were important, but also I had to go to the archives of some of these thinkers. So there's a um, substantial archive of Althusser's papers at emec which is a, a residential archive in Normandy. And they also have uh, many of, of Derrida's papers, as does um, the University of Irvine in California. And using the archives of people that were connected to Foucault opened up some possibilities for future projects of my own. So I, I did write a book on Georges Congriam as part of the sort of the period in which I was working on these Foucault books because I became interested in what games work was doing and the, the opening up of his archive uh, allowed me access to that kind of material. And that's really what led me to what has become the, the next big project, was uh, Foucault's friend and, and mentor, Georges de Mazille, the comparative mythologist and um, philologist or literary scholar, And Dumasil's archive was really interesting to me. I became interested in the impact that both he and Emile Benveniste had on generations of French thinkers around an idea of Indo-European thought, around uh, comparative mythology, about whether it's possible to reconstruct proto-Indo-European language, the one that is the common ancestor of languages as distinct as Sanskrit, as Greek, as Latin, or whether it's possible to say something about the people that spoke those languages, what they believed, what they thought, the gods they worshipped, and so on. And so Benveniste and Dumasil are the two main figures that I want to concentrate on in the the new project, which is going to be a An Intellectual History of Indo-European Thought in 20th Century France. It's funded by a Leverhulme Major Research Fellowship, which gives me the time away from teaching to to really dig into this and really to do the work. There's huge archives of of Dumasil, slightly lesser of Benveniste, and a whole range of associated figures. And so I'm doing early work in that in terms of digging into that material to see what I can say and to try to reconstruct this and maybe a different way to think about the debates in French theory in the 20th century um, from some of the ways that I've done it before, or some of the ways that other people have done it before. I think there's a story that's worth telling, even if I don't yet know all of the details of what it is. And a book or I hope so. more than one book? Or... I hope, I, well, I hope it's not more than one book. I'm, <laughs> I hope at the moment, I'm hoping maybe one quite substantial book, but not more. Um I I've written some papers on Foucault and Dumasil and the kind of the intellectual relation between the way that Foucault picks up on some of Dumasil's ideas and puts them to work in some of his own analyses. And those papers are, are a sort of a bridge between the Foucault work and this new project. So there'll there'll certainly be some associated papers. I've recently edited a critical edition of Dumasile's book Mitra Varuna, an essay on two Indo-European uh, representations of sovereignty uh, which should be out within a few months and that was also valuable to me in terms of understanding how Domazil worked, the, the the construction of a book uh, for him so there'll be some related publications but yes, the hope is to write one probably quite big book on the history of, of this idea this Indo-European thought in France